What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Maybe my co-host Thomas Drance will join the show at some point here. We'll see. Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Of course that is. Who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dot. Com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of exciting things happening here behind the scenes and in the uh, Canucks Talk group chat as we tried to get try to get Dranzer connected on the road from the uh, the New York metro area where he's, of course, still covering the Canucks, lots of exciting things happening there, but none of it as exciting as that game last night between the Canucks and the New York Rangers. That was awesome. And look, we should have Drance here momentarily, so I'll hold off on the uh, the heavier, more detailed analysis until we can get Drancer and get going on the whiteboard. But you remember the game the Rangers played against the Canucks at Rogers Arena. Now the Canucks lost that game in overtime, but that was a thriller back in in October. That game last night was an absolute delight. There's something about these two teams. And I actually think there's, you know, we always say styles make fights, right? And a lot of times we're talking about, oh, these teams have a contrasting style. You know, the big heavy team going to go, going up against the, the really fast, more finesse team, and that's going to make for a really interesting series or a really entertaining game. But I actually think that these teams, the similarity produces just a really, really exciting style of hockey. And, you know, the Canucks have established themselves as a really legitimate defensive team this year, but they still have, obviously, as we've seen on display in particular the last couple of games, they have so much offensive talent, as do the New York Rangers. You know, they're both backstopped uh, by elite goalies in the NHL, Shesterkin and Demko, and there's just something about it where it's not as if they can't play defense. I mean, you look at the blue line for the Rangers, and it's pretty loaded. As I said, the Canucks playing really, really well defensively this year, so it's not as if these teams just don't care about defense and they're playing run and gun, but whatever it is, when they get together, crisp, exciting, lots of scoring chances going in either direction, uh, and the Canucks get revenge for that loss back in October against the Rangers on home ice with a a statement game, as you've probably heard at this point. A statement game for the Vancouver Canucks in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen says, Yesterday's solid connection was too good to be true if he can't get in today. Yeah. We used up all our good audio connection yesterday on the show. And so now nothing's happening. Dom's on the phone, which is never a good sign. So we might have Drancer via phone here momentarily. Uh, 650, 650, as I mentioned, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'm getting the thumbs up. All right, Drancer? Yeah, we'll see, man. We will see. <laughs> How you doing? There's nothing more thrilling than watching the, like, the, the buzz of activity in the control room trying to get you connected as I start yeah, it's the show. Thrilling. It's really exciting yeah. from my perspective. I don't love it, but that's okay. No, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. No, look, I was just saying that, uh, you know, we haven't started I haven't started the whiteboard officially, so we'll get into that here in just a second. But I was obviously, I mean, we can break down all of the, the takeaways and kind of the team-level things and what it means for the Canucks, 
But that was just a really, really fun hockey game to watch. And there's something about these teams. And I was saying, I think it's there's a kind of similarity between these two teams that yes. produces these really, really thrilling, exciting games. And at the point I was making, I don't think it's that it's not that they're bad defensive teams, and so it ends up being high event. It's just there's whatever it is, it ends it ends up with a lot of crispness, a lot of scoring chance, and a lot of action both ways. Yeah, although I would say I thought New York was a pretty bad defensive team last night. Like, I, I really thought they were sloppy, which is to take nothing away from the Canucks pouncing on and not just taking advantage of the opportunities that they had, but manufacturing them with their own pressure, right? I, I mean, they deserve credit for how sloppy New York looked. But, you know, you think about Braden Schneider uncharacteristically mm. losing Niels Hoaglander on the on the 2-1 goal. Uh, you, you think about Kendra Miller, I mean – a really good player, but that that's one of the worst games I've ever seen him play, frankly, whether, whether live or on television. Uh, he was in his own end the entire first 40 minutes of the game uh, with a ton of errors just compounding uh, on top of one another. Uh, the Canucks didn't just score, though, right? They scored magnificent goals, yep. like highest quality goals, and that gave the game a feeling of spectacle. But I do think it was kind of one-sided in, in terms of the spectacle, right? Like, you know, the, the Rangers basically got two goals from non-scoring chances and two unscreened wrist shot goals. And, you know, much like the Devils game before it, right? Like the Canucks allowed some of those bouncer goals that they don't typically, uh, that they haven't typically all season. And, and it hasn't mattered in part because their rejigged lineup is just generating such high quality stuff. It is able to effectively out punch you know, what I see is some of the regression that has frankly hit them uh, on this road trip. It just really hasn't mattered given how well the top of this lineup is going. Shall we get into the whiteboard? Let's do it. Let's do it officially. We'll start the show with the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It is the whiteboard for today, January 9th. And yeah, as mentioned, starting with the headlines, uh, Canucks winning a thriller 6-3 against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. And look, it was, I think the chances of it looking as dominant from a controlling play perspective as it did against the Devils was, that was not in the cards, right? That's an incredibly high bar. You're not going to hit that all of the time, certainly, or even most of the time. But not the same dominance from the lotto line in particular, but the production was there once again in those game-breaking moments. And I just keep coming back to the benefits of stacking elite talent with each other you know, the moment even when uh, the when Brock Besser, you know, throws it down below the goal line and it's Elias right. Pettersson there to receive the puck, right? And then the guy, who, the third guy on the, in the play, right, who's getting the pass from Pettersson is JT Miller. And there's just so many good players on the ice that almost no matter where the puck goes, somebody is going to be in a dangerous position to do something with it at all times. Yeah, and someone with high-end finishing talent too, right? That yep. was a huge goal to quickly, I, I mean – the Rangers ventilated the Canucks PK on that first opportunity they had in the first period. And to answer it that quickly, that soundly, I I thought that was a huge moment in the game for the Canucks. Um, Just spent no time trailing as they so often, like they so often have had those answers all year and they did again in New York. It it felt like it paced them in, in a meaningful way. You know, I agree with you that the lotto line or at least that top line was, you know, opportunistic. They, they certainly, it certainly had a little bit of a different feel from the New Jersey game, although I still thought they carried play pretty effectively. But the Heronic Hughes pair for me 
was was kind of the story. And and the points don't really tell that story. Mm. Uh, I mean, Hronik had two assists. Quinn Hughes didn't even have a shot on goal. He's had starrier nights. There have been a lot of nights where Quinn Hughes, you know, leaves the rink with a, a goal and three assists. But in terms of controlling the flow of play, you know, in, in terms of like you look at it after the first period and it was like eight shot attempts for the Canucks, one against the Rangers. Every time Hughes and Hronik stepped on the ice until the Canucks had built a commanding lead, uh, the puck was in the Rangers' end of the ice. They had no answer for it. Like, they really had no answer for it. They just weren't generating anything from inside against that pair because they never had a chance to. They never had the puck. I thought that was one of the best and most complete performances we've seen from Vancouver's top pair. And, you know, this is the other benefit of, of sort of moving Pedersen up to the top line, right, is that you're getting now all these Pedersen-Hughes minutes that the club was sacrificing in mm-hmm. part because of the way that they were self-matching Hughes with the Miller line against Tufts, right? Now we're getting some of those, you know, some of that Pedersen-Hughes magic again, and I thought that stood up. I thought that was a key driver in their sort of scoring edge last night in Manhattan. Well, and it's pretty, you know, when you get those five guys on the ice, I mean, that's been their power play one unit at times this year, right? When Andre Kuzmenko has bumped off. Like, so you're really getting your five kind of best players, your five ideal players on the ice at one time. And when you're able to do that, you're just putting yourself in such a, such an advantageous position. Uh, two goals for Niels Hoaglander. We should mention one of which incredible skill on display uh, from Hoaglander. And, you know, in a, a part of this conversation with the lotto line is okay. You're loading up at the top of your lineup and that's great. You, you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to expect, uh, what you're going to get from a game to game basis from them. But the rest of the lineup has to still keep doing the job. And last night, you know, I thought the third line created some really good chances, but it was Niels Hoaglander and that fourth line uh, chipping in with a couple of goals as well. Niels Hoaglander continues to be something of a game breaker here for the Canucks. I mean, you need it. Like you need some of that offensive push lower down the lineup and, and he's delivered. I mean, that first goal you could see developing from a mile away. Like that was one of those where the Canucks created an advantage essentially in the neutral zone and just kind of pushed that edge across three different touches. Nice little pass from Neil Zaman, uh, who, who I think needs to do a little more offensively mm-hmm. to stick in this lineup, like the penalty killing, I think has kept him in the lineup has been really big for him, really key for him. But I do think he's ultimately going to need to be able to do and contribute just a little bit more to be that everyday player. We've talked about it a million times. So that was a nice touch from him, a nice pass, no mistake, no, no no doubt on the, on the Hoaglander finish. And then that between the legs and then in stride is, you know, a smooth part of the same move sends that low lethal backhand through uh, Igor Shosturkin who, you know, I, I think it's worth noting, like, Shesterkin had a bad night. Like, it, he was not good. Again, credit the Canucks. They, they made it a bad night. They've made a lot of goalies look like that <laughs> over the course of this season. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, that one trickling right through him, you know, it, it was sort of interesting in that, uh, and we talked about the over at six and a half prior to the game, right? Um, and it was like, yeah, you know, I kind of like this one. I don't know that you feel good about taking the over against Shesterkin and Demko. Um, you know, Demko was good, but also allowed the two non-scoring chance goals. Yeah, right? but so he ma- like, he, Demko made some really big saves on, on, really on big dangerous chances, especially when the game was like a one-goal game too, right? No, no, I'm not. There's no criticism of it yeah. so much as it definitely wasn't a goalie duel. No, right? no. I, I, <laughs> I think we've seen 
Like that, that does, that's not going to rank in the top 10 games Demko plays all season, maybe not even in the top 20. Um, you know, this was a shooter's night. And the Canucks, yeah, I mean, the, the Pedersen goal coming and then the Hoaglander goal right after it. I mean, just honestly, what, what a badass sequence for this team. Like, it was just extremely cool to score two goals of that quality, two absolute out-of-your-seat highlight reel goals in quick succession like that. And I think it gave this win the feel of a signature, right? Like mm. it was, you're, you know, you're going to win some games like that. Teams are going to win some games like that. They're going to have sturdy showings against high quality teams. We've seen this Canucks team do it, you know, all season, but to have that sort of punctuation, right. That sort of true exclamation mark on the performance with, with goals of goals like that, memorable goals, goals that are going to be on every single Canucks sizzle reel at the end of the year, uh, that made it feel special. That made it feel like a spectacle. That made it a ton of fun. Yeah, there's an element of kind of the Canucks affirming their identity, right? Which is, you know, their identity kind of is star players and, and talent. And and they've shored up the rest of their game, especially defensively, right? Where it's not, that's the only thing uh, that they're capable of doing. But I think that is, it's fair to look at that as part of the Canucks identity and really a, a major part uh, of the Canucks identity at this point, And that was on display, which is the kind of thing that kind of tips it into signature game status for the Canucks. Uh, it is a game day again for the Vancouver Canucks. They'll play another marquee matchup here playing Bo Horvat uh, and the New York Islanders tonight. Second half of a back-to-back. Uh, we'll have more on that game in the Islanders perspective with uh, Stefan Rosner uh, of NHL.com a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I do want to jump into the broadsheet portion of the whiteboard here because uh, a really interesting quote. Now, we don't have the audio here, but uh, J.P. Barry, of course, one of Elias Pettersson's representatives uh, on the Ray and Dregs podcast, talking about where things stand between Elias Pettersson and the Canucks. And there's a lot in his answer. It kind of goes in a bunch of different directions. I'll try to paraphrase it a little bit, but you know, says that the engagement process has started, but then also goes on to say that Pedersen really wants to focus on playing. You know, he acknowledges that, look, he's not a UFA. He's only an RFA. So uh, they are able to be a little bit more patient for that reason. And, you know, he basically says he wants his team to win, doesn't want the distraction. And from an agent's perspective, you have to balance it with, okay, how much do we want to get this done versus how much do we want uh, to avoid the distraction? And as he says, that basically comes down to what the client wants. So there's a question of, do you engage really seriously now or do you wait till May, June, July, potentially, to get things done? And that's uh, the latest officially from the Elias Pettersson camp, Transfer. Yeah, and, you know, I know Sadi Shah had some interesting commentary on mm-hmm. this too yesterday, uh, you know, regarding uh, sort of the meeting that Alvin and, and Pedersen had that we talked about, right? The, how, how interesting it was that that nugget had come out. Um, you know, I, I think this just really underlines some of what we've said as we've kind of updated the absence of news, because really that's what we're doing. We're covering a vacuum Yep. in, in terms of talking about Pedersen's contract status and, and these ne- negotiations scare quotes around the words negotiations which is that, you know, it doesn't feel like anything's fundamentally changed since August when Pedersen said he wanted to wait until after the year. Uh, it appears we're still in that holding pattern. 
as this season goes along. Yeah, and based on, uh, as you said, what a little bit uh, of what Sat had to say, and, you know, I, uh, Elliot Friedman earlier in the week was pretty forceful about it as well. Like, he's not ready. He wants to wait. When he said he wanted to wait until after the season, he was serious about it, and that's kind of where things are. So as much as we have been covering, like, the non-update updates, right, the status quo <laughs> updates, I don't know if we're going to be doing that as much over the next few weeks because it feels like this is kind of a – no, seriously, it's not happening right now. Let's check in again in a few months. And who knows? Maybe we'll keep hearing this kind of drip, drip, drip of, hey, ball's still in his court. But I don't know. I, I sense maybe that we're going to move on away from this story a little bit as much as we can, given how significant the the Elias Patterson contractual situation is for the Canucks. But I think like, we've got the message. That's what it feels like. We've got the message here <laughs> at this point. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But that's just my sense. Uh, oh, it's, of where things stand. It, it's too big a deal to not be broken down, you know, exhaustively. Um, but it does a little bit remind me of like the Luongo on the trade block thing, mm. right? Where it was like months of just like kind of nothing, but maybe it's something, but it's probably nothing. Updates breathlessly being shared in the Vancouver market. And that's how it works when you're talking about star players and, you know, matters of high interest for fans, but also crucial importance to the franchise, I, I just add this to it, too, which is that a lot of international media in New York, right? A mm. lot of international media on the East Coast, Swedish media uh, tried to use the Nylander deal to, to quiz Pedersen about the uh, negotiations and where he stands. And, and he basically parried the question, albeit in a language I, I needed translated for me by, by, a, by a Swedish reporter after the avail. That's fantastic. You can do it in yep. both languages. It's no, no problem. <laughs> um, the other thing I just wanted to mention in the broadsheet, uh, our, our pal Rick Dollywell, of course, from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV and the crossover here on Canucks Talk every week, uh, on Twitter last night in reaction to the Canucks win, writing, these are the type of wins that may make, may make management go out and get a big piece at the deadline. All right. Yeah. Very interesting. File that well, away. I thought that was a fascinating uh, tweet from Rick Dollywall. Dovetails with some of what Dollywall and I were reporting at The Athletic mm -hmm. over the weekend, which is, you know, it, it does seem like the club wants to wait, wants to see this sample expand, certainly looks at this road trip as a crucial measuring stick for whether or not this team is one of the five or six best in the league, whether they really should be looking at this as an opportunity they can't afford to miss you know, uh, in line with the argument you've been making for months mm -hmm. now, Jamie. Um, so, you know, I think that'll be a big topic of discussion. Some big, hard questions being asked internally at mid-season meetings uh, over the next couple of weeks by Canucks management will be fascinating to see how it plays out. That's it. <laughs> I know I didn't have the tune that I, I – I didn't have the tone that I was ending my <laughs> sentence, but I was. Good to know. Uh, yeah. And just on your point about the argument I've been making about going for it. So lineup notes, no morning skate on Long Island today. Expect Casey DeSmith to start after Demko started last night. But I wouldn't expect necessarily any other lineup changes, you know, pending injuries and, and load management and all of that. We'll see when the Canucks get on the ice in a few hours here in Long Island. But the playoff forecast and Canucks now 97% chance to make the playoffs per your colleague Dom's model up to a 37% chance to win the division. And, you know, when I started making the, hey, maybe they should go for it argument, I think one of the things I said, this was probably November, okay, let's check in in January and see if they're still enjoying this magical season, right? And what's happened is 
they're in a stronger position. It's not just that they've maintained these kinds of incredible vibes that they had early on in the season, but now with the lotto line reunited and playing the way they're playing, albeit only through two games, you know, the health of the rest of the roster, the way your forward depths are forward depth is clicking. You've got all your defensemen healthy right now and their position relative to their division is really, really strong right now. Like they've got a, they're, they're the favorites to win the division by a fairly significant margin over LA, 37% to 29% for LA. Now that it's not far from a lock, obviously, but like, this is what I was talking about. If the stars start to align for you, right? And if this wasn't just a great six weeks, but a lightning in a bottle season where everything is going right for you. Okay. Talk to me in January. And then it might be really time to consider going for it. And that's kind of exactly what's happened here. So like by my own argument, I have to look at this and basically say, yeah, I think they should be willing to really go out and make a big splash, especially if you're willing to keep the lotto line together. It really clarifies what you might be interested in, which is a center to play behind that line in your top six. So I think like the stars have just kept being in alignment to a degree where I'm looking at it and I'm looking at their odds to win the division. I hear what management is saying. And you know, maybe you want to use this road trip as a measuring stick. Maybe there's still some questions to answer there, but man, they have come really, really close to answering those questions as to whether or not it is worth the risk of of pushing some chips in this season. Uh, no question. This this road trip has been certainly these two games in New York, and it's just two games, but they've had a different look and feel, right? I mean, mm. there's a reason you've seen my tone change since that Devils game. Uh, the way that this looks, especially with that loaded top line, it, it's materially different from what we saw earlier in the year, in my view. Uh, certainly the way that they're controlling play and the chances they were manufacturing yesterday, right? I mean, think about those goals. Those were no doubters, Yeah. right? Like that was not, they didn't need a single bounce last night. Those were the Canucks just overwhelming uh, a Rangers team on the road. Uh, that's impressive stuff, period. Uh, wrap um, up. Let's wrap up the whiteboard with the uh, the betting odds for today, Drancer. Yeah, the Canucks are... Pick them in some places, mm. like they're even odds in some places, basically. But really, it's plus 105, uh, about on average. Islanders minus 125, uh, home favorites by, by the skin of their teeth. The total set at six and a half with a little bit more action on the over, even though it's the Islanders and even though it's Sorokin. You can get even money in some places on the under six and a half, which makes sense given the way that the Canucks have filled the net yep. and, and allowed a fair few too since arriving in the New York metro area. I'd add this, that with the victory over the Rangers, uh, pretty much consensus now the Canucks have become the favorite at like four of the six major sports books to win the Pacific Division now. Um, you know, there's a couple where you can get plus 185, but for the most part, they are clearly edging ahead of the Kings and the Golden Knights to as, as uh, the winner or sorry, the favorite favorite to win, to win the, the Pacific division. division. Yeah. After 82 games. It's pretty incredible. That's the whiteboard for today. January 9th. Uh, we got a packed show today, starting uh, next with Shana Goldman from the athletic and the too many men podcast. And uh, uh, Shane has got some beef with you Dranzer, as does much of the East coast media. You really set them off with your Adam Fox <laughs> tweet last night. All of a sudden, I, I, I just don't understand it. 
apparently Wish was having a go at, at you on the on the morning show today as well. Like, oh really? Yeah, you, I missed you, that. You've somehow become like the face of like the cocky, arrogant Canucks fan, which is hilarious. Oh yes, given your brand here in the market. <laughs> <laughs> but it, apparently it happened. So anyways, we'll talk uh, Adam Fox and Quinn Hughes of Shanna and a lot more. Her view on the Canucks says contenders in the NHL right now. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.